Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. Brent Smart. I'm Adam Ferrier, but I have the pleasure of co-hosting a podcast with Brent called Black T-Shirts. So please check it out after you've listened to him on this one. A little bit about me. Nah, bugger it. Uh, I'll speak about Brent. Brent is the CMO of IAG. I'm a part of Thinkabelt and we're one of the agencies that Brent uh, works with. He has lots of different agencies and it keeps us all on our toes by working with, a. I think, the euthanism is a village of agencies. Brent is a quite mercurial client. He ex-agency side, uh, leading Saatchi and Saatchi New York and Colenso Bibidio New Zealand uh, to much acclaim. He's won a bucket load of Khan Lions and other awards, but he likes to be known as Australia's Fernando. So next time you see him, just say, hey, Pep, and he'll know what you're talking about. So here he is, Australia's Fernando, Brent Smart. Welcome to the town of Bland, where a not-so-little girl is about to change the way we see ambition forever. This is her story. Welcome to The Impostress, Brent Smart. Thanks thanks for having me. I'm I'm a fan of the show, so I'm pleased to be on. It's great to hear. As you know... um, we like to delve a bit into the dark side of uh, doubt and fear and impostering. And in this season, we're, we're talking to a whole variety of guests and thought it'd be great to, to have you on to talk about this. And I, and I did mention before, this is either the shark jump um, or the start of um, something great. I want to ask you, without being too confrontational about this, um, but what are your feelings and based on your experiences on the, the thought or the sentiment that uh, clients ultimately get the advertising they deserve? Well, I think bad clients definitely deserve bad work, but I see a lot of work out there in the world for brands that I think actually deserve better work. And, and maybe that's because the clients don't know how to get to better work, but I also think it's because there are some agencies that rather than giving the client what they need, they give the client what they want. And and if you're going to give the client what they need, you need to have a strong point of view, you need to have a vision, and you need to push. Um, and I think there are a lot of agencies out there that, that don't want to do that or don't know how to do that. And I may be more interested in, I may be more in the business of keeping clients happy rather than doing what the brand actually needs. So, so I don't think it's all about clients. I definitely think there are bad clients who who deserve bad work, but I think there are some clients who probably deserve better work from their agencies. But in the end, whether it's you know whether it's the the, the clients deserving bad work or not, I tell you who doesn't deserve bad work, and that's the audience. Um, they deserve work that respects their time, that respects their intelligence, and maybe if we did more of that, they'd spend less time skipping us and blocking us and avoiding us. But one thing I definitely think I've learned, you know, over my 
career is that clients deserve the amount of effort they get from their agencies. Um, and this is something I'm pretty passionate about. And, and, you know, when I ran agencies, any client could come to me and buy time from my creative department. You know, it's called a fee, right? And we'd give that client that time. But there are certain clients that can get so much more than that. And they can get discretionary effort from creative people. They can get creative people to really, really care. They can get creative people to do their best work. And I think this really amazing thing happens where, you know, creatives start thinking about your brand, not just when they're at the office, but when they're walking the dog, having a shower on the train, you get all this incredible discretionary effort. Um, and I think the way to get that discretionary effort is, is, is pretty simple. And that is to make the agency and the creatives really believe that you're going to do good work. And, and if you can be that client, I think you get an extraordinary discretionary effort. It's not about sort of vanity, wanting to be the agency's favorite client. It's not sort of about popularity. I think it's a commercial decision. And I think if you can get that sort of relationship with your agency, then you will get more effort and you will get better work. And that's the upside of, of you know, being a good client. And that's the complete opposite of being an agency's one client too many Right, which is the which is the client that is considered the harder work, which is because you you've had one of those jobs, and I, I think about it, you know, as the CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi New York, you kind of have a job title in this industry that I think more people understand those places. They know the brand, they know the city, they know the role. So you've led agencies that needed to kind of position themselves with clients as, you know, we we will take care of you, we will look after you. So there's this idea of giving clients confidence in what in what you can do. And, and giving creatives, I guess, now you're talking about the confidence in believing that you will do this work that they put forward. Yeah, and I think I think what what you're sort of touching on there with agencies like Saatchi New York is they have clients that have been with them for a long time and are probably with them for different reasons uh, than just doing great work. I, I, I think I look at agencies like Uncommon, who I think are just such an extraordinary agency, they have started with a very clear vision and they attract a certain type of client and they don't work with clients who don't have that sort of creative ambition or appetite. Um, whereas I think when you're running a legacy network, it's been around for a long time, um, you know, you, you don't have that luxury, right? Like you, you, you definitely uh, are trying to reinvent the creative product. You're definitely trying to do great work but there are a lot of clients who didn't join you for that reason. And so I, th I think that is a big challenge with a lot of agencies. Um, in the end, I think the pursuit of great work is the only reason to be in this business. And, and, uh, and I think it's a, it's, it's a really worthy pursuit. And, and I think every agency should be certainly trying, but uh, it's not lost on me how hard it is with some clients and, some, and on some brands. Balance of power is a really interesting one, which I think I just sort of pulled out of what you were saying, which is that, you know, when you get the the fresh startup agencies, and I agree, Uncommon is certainly right at the top of that. They become they get into that unique position where they can so the balance of power feels almost equal, almost on the agency side. You know, you've almost got clients go, oh, "Please work with us." Whereas you know, so often it's the other way around. When you have that equal balance of power, it feels like you get to that magical place where the work is awesome because you feel that you know the client isn't putting and the agency's into it and. Um, one of our guests in season one said that if you want to be in charge of an agency's product, be the creative director. And if you want to be the creative director, be the client. 
And it's that that kind of balance of power side of things, you know, and anybody that's creative is has been in those meetings where you're creating work and the sort of the client sort of like, I'm not sure if I can say that I like this because I don't want to demotivate them. Or the other side is the client's just killing absolutely everything. Have being someone that's sat on both sides, how do you do you feel okay with like creative directing the creative director? How do you feel about that? I don't think I creative direct creative directors. Uh, I don't think that's my role. But the reason I wanted to do this was I spent 20 years in agencies sitting across the table from clients who I thought were buying the wrong stuff. And and I'd say to myself, if I was in that chair, I'd pick this. This is the thing. This is what I'd do. Mm. And 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 no matter how sort of good you are at influencing or and persuading uh, and, and, and selling, right? It's a bit of a dirty word now in the business, but selling, you ultimately you don't have to say. And and you're in the hands of these marketers, right? This is the this is sort of the um, this is the unique thing about our business is we put ourselves in the hands of these clients who ultimately, you know, have to say. So so I don't like to think about it as a power thing, um, and I certainly don't think I creative direct creative directors. But what I can do in this role is say yes to an idea, and that is so powerful, and that's the whole reason that I wanted to do it. And then this thing happens, which I now have such a better understanding of now that I've worked in this role. How do I get that idea through a corporation? There has never been anything invented that's as good at killing ideas as a corporation, right? It's, it, 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 corporations are the killer app for killing ideas, right? They're incredible at it. And you need to have someone on the inside who sees their role as being the protector of ideas. Ideas are very fragile things. They are very rarely born complete, right? And you need someone who is going to take it upon themselves to protect those ideas within corporate environments. I see that as the most important part of my job is, is being able to protect ideas and, and sort of shepherd them through an insurance company, which is sort of built to manage risk, avoid risk, you know, like it's, it, it, and, and it's that challenge that I love. And that's the bit of the job that, that I, I think is so, so important. And the thing I try to do as a client is I try and buy completely. I think that's a really important thing. I know, you know, you guys would have worked with clients like this. I know I work with a lot of clients like this where they kind of half buy, like kind of half buy it, you know, like I like this bit of it, but not that bit of it. Or can we kind of put those two bits together or like, you know, the classic, like, you know, love the headline, hate the visual. So, so what I try and do is buy ideas completely and just go, that's the idea, and then try and create the conditions for that to be as great as it can be and try to really protect it within our organisation. And um, and I think that's a really powerful thing. Now, that doesn't mean I buy everything, right? Quite the opposite. But when I think something's right, when I believe in something, I try and buy it completely. I don't try and tell the agency how to direct it, how to edit it, how to art direct it. I don't creative direct them. And that's where I think when you talk about sort of a power thing, um, you know, I, I really want to empower agencies to then go and do what they're really great at, which is which is go and execute something brilliantly. I mean, I think I've never met a creative who wants to execute something badly, you know, like and I think you just got to trust and you've got to create the conditions for something to be great. And that means your part of the bargain as, as, a, as a client, I believe, is you've got to buy it completely and believe in it, not chip away at it, Frankenstein it. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think that's that's really powerful when when marketers do that. You Mary, got this. This one, this is Larry. Oh, 
right, stop what you're doing, cause I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. I look funny. But yo, I'm making money, see? So yo, world, I hope you're ready for me. Now gather round. I'm the new fool in town. Sounds laid down by the underground. I'm stepping tall, y'all. And just like Humpty Dumpty, you're gonna fall when the stereos pump me. I like to rhyme. I like my beats funky. Funky. I like my oatmeal lumpy. I'm sick with this. Straight gangster Mac. But sometimes I get ridiculous. I'll eat a bunch of crackers and your licorice. Humping, funking, jumping, gig around, shaking. Hey, hey, what's up? Do chump punk points a finger like a stunt. Tell him step off. I'm doing my hump. Humpty dance. It's your chance to do the hump. Everybody! Uh, come on to do the Humpty hump. People don't commit to the idea as much as the agency would. And then when you have that imbalance, that's when stuff dies. Because great ideas are never directly out of a brief. Great ideas are always a surprise. Great ideas are always hated by at least half the people. And that's what makes them. Yeah, and that's right. <laughs> you, you obviously have a, a strong uh, commitment to protecting the fragile nature of ideas. Um, you've mentioned that before in conversations I've heard you have and and, and and needing and you've just talked about shepherding through an organisation and you've talked also I've heard you talk about bad ads as pollution and we've had a number of creatives on here talk about their fear of making pollution or their fear of what drives them, um, rightly or wrongly, we say rightly sometimes, is the fear of that. I want to know about yours. How fearful are you of putting pollution out there, being the ultimate person responsible just because of what may have been said in a boardroom somewhere? I don't have a fear of creating pollution or a fear of creating bad work. It's not what motivates me. It's the opposite. I have a unwavering belief in the power of great work. Advertising can be so much more than pollution, can't it? Advertising can be this incredibly powerful thing that changes people's minds, changes how people feel, changes their behaviour. It, it can become a part of culture and we revere it like we do a great movie, a great song. It can make a difference, right? I've, I've always believed in the power of creativity and great work to do that. So it's more, so it's less of a fear of making bad stuff and more of a burning desire to make great stuff. And I don't understand why you wouldn't want to. I, I, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I've just, I just sort of go. It's a choice. And whatever you're doing in life, right? If you're a songwriter, do you want to write shit songs or great songs? If you're a cobbler, do you want to make great shoes or shit shoes? Like, why wouldn't you want to make the greatest product that you could? Like, I just want, I just want my kids not to think what I do is lame. You know, I want them to think that what I do is kind of good and and worthwhile. And and you know, like so. So for me, it's just a, a, a I guess a a belief that 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 great work is a, a worthwhile pursuit, and and you know what, it's been a really fantastic purpose for me that's guided me my whole career, and it's kind of enough for me. Like you know, that gets me out of bed every day, and that 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 inspires me, and and you know, um, I just want to make great stuff. So yeah, it's less of a fear of doing bad stuff. But by the way, that should be the biggest fear of every marketer. The biggest fear every marketer should have is of making something invisible, because that's most content that's most advertising right it, yeah. it, it's just invisible and it's just we don't pay any attention to it we don't remember it it's just that's why it's pollution and i think that should be the fear like, like god if i make something like that um you know it, it, it's going to be really bad for the business that i'm representing and working for if i do something great it's just got a much better chance of standing out of being remembered of actually working i mean and this has been proven time and time again right like i mean all the marketing science stuff kind of proves it but but for me it's just uh 
belief that that it's worth it's worthwhile making something great, and that's a choice that I'll make every time is to try and make something great. I want to be proud of the work I make. Can I work with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it's, this is not a recruitment tool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so refreshing to to hear that, and it's also it's also very sobering, right? We all sort of know that. So much of what we do is about trying to interrupt people. And that's the opposite of what we should be doing, right? We shouldn't be interrupting them. We should be giving them something they want to see. We should be giving them stuff they look forward to. And yet that in itself through the the corporate gauntlet is becoming harder and harder to do. One of the things I think is really interesting is that you sat on sort of both sides of the table. I'd like to understand your sort of your feelings and emotions around being presented work, you know, the ceremony of being presented work, you know, the yeah. get on great with the agency. Everyone's got their best shoes on. The slides are great. The coffee's amazing. <laughs> you can talk through the strategy, print the work. And now everyone sort of swivels and looks at you with hope in their eyes. And when, when you, when you comment back, I mean, do you think I'm just going to give it to you straight or am I going to try and soften it? Do I sort of rely on data? How do you package that commentary? Do you, is it just sort of you just go straight off? I'm going to give it to you honestly, or how you give feedback? How do you feel comfortable doing that? Yeah, and look, we shouldn't underestimate how hard that is. The pressure mm-hmm. we put marketers under in that situation. All eyes turn to you, as you say. The crazy have poured their heart and soul into it. They're just craving some sort of positive reaction. If you get it wrong, the way you respond, you can suck all the creative energy out of a room. You can suck all the creative energy out of a project, right? So so there's pressure there. And, and I think from my experience, most marketers aren't very good at it. No, it's really hard. In general, I think I just try to respond honestly and from, from the gut, you know, like I, I, I think that gut reaction is the best reaction. It's how people react to work. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately creating great advertising requires an intuitive leap. So you've got to really tap into your intuition, your gut, and you've got to really trust it. So for me, I don't ask, is it on brief? Ignore the brief. The brief is just, we, we, we write from a brief, not to a brief. It's, it's just the start mm. of the process. So ignore the brief, ignore the details. I, th- I just, I th- this, this sort of desire to jump into the details. I think that's because that's where a lot of people are comfortable so they hide, well, I think, as well. It's comfortable to respond on the details and the smaller things and avoid the bigger conversation. So I think that's why a lot of people go there. But you got to ignore all that. And I just ask myself one really simple question. How does it make me feel? That's the question I answer every time I look at work and have my whole career when I was in agencies and and, and you know, now as a marketer. Um, so that And that sounds very simplistic, right? But I think it is that simple basically but i guess there's two there's two kind of things i have as i guess sort of principles when i'm responding to work one is we've got a bit of a sort of principle for our marketing team for the culture we're trying to build here and that is hard on the work kind to the people i think you've got to separate the work from the people who created the work and i think you and i think you've got to make sure that like you know it's not personal the feedback's about the idea and the work not about the people who created it i think you've got to find a way to be very honest and have very high standards around the work, which means you're not going to prove everything. It means you are going to kill stuff, but be very respectful, kind, encouraging, nurturing to the people who are trying to create it. Um, and I think those two things 
while they feel like they're opposing forces and they feel like there's a tension there, I think it's really important to, to understand it. You can be hard on the work and have very high standards, but you can still be very kind to the people who created it. And, and I really always try and do that, right? But I also think the most kind thing you can do as a client is kill an idea that you don't love and that isn't right. Don't try and talk yourself into it. Don't don't try and sort of half buy it, change it. Like I just I'll just give it a swift kill. Go, it's not that one. We'll find the one, you know. So so I I do believe in the swift kill of the wrong idea, and I don't buy everything that's put in front of me. But then there's my second principle, which I mentioned earlier, which is but when I do buy, I buy completely. And then I say to the agency, so how much money do you need? How much time do you need? Who are we going to work with? How are we going to make this thing awesome? Um, just get into that mode of conversation because I I bought it. I'm not going to try and put my you know, put my sort of fingerprints all over it. I'm not going to try and creative direct it, you know, to make it marginally better than it is. Just like buy it. Because the other thing that, that you guys know is creative people too. And I, this, this is a quote from Sean Penn that I love, which is a movie gets made three times. Once when you write it, once when you shoot it, once we edit it. And it's the same with advertising, right? Like the thing on the, the, that bit of paper you buy, that is going to morph and change. And it, it, it's, you know, it's going to hopefully look very, very different by the time you've made it because, the input of a director, the performance you get on the day, you know, decisions, all the decisions and choices we make along the way that make the difference between it being special and average. Uh, and, and that's not on the page the day you buy it. It's just not. It's gonna, it, that's gonna all evolve and 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 hopefully you're on that journey together. If you buy the idea completely and you believe in the idea, then you approach it with a completely different mindset then in terms of how you want to make it. So that's what I try and do. Uh, you know, and I, and and but like I say, it's hard. And, and one of the real things that I find hard is how do I empower my team and teach my team to respond to creative work? Because, you know, you want them to find a voice. You really want them to have an opinion. But by the same token, the worst thing, and you've all been in this meeting, is we start with the most junior client. We work up to the most senior client. Everyone weighs in on the work. You get about 20 comments. It's really hard to work out. Do they like it? Do they not like it? Like, what's going on here? Uh, so you've you got to manage it and, and, and you've got to sort of really – um, you know, make sure that they're adding value. You know, I don't believe that it's it's a training exercise for junior marketers giving creative feedback. You know, like so, so, so I struggle with that a bit. Like, because like, you know, I've obviously got a very instinctive um, feel for the work. I, you know, I want to sort of jump in there and 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 you know, give the creative team my sort of initial feeling response. But I also got to sort of bring the team, my team, along that journey as well. Now, I find that hard. But that is a challenge. So, look, it's it's difficult, but I think we should recognise that it's something that. You know, most marketers aren't very good at. I'd say a lot of creative directors aren't very good at. Um, and it's something I think you, we, we've got to work at and we've got to help people be better at, you know? And I think that you've had, obviously, in your experience, you would agree that you've had a number of great creative partners. To the creative partners you work with now and yeah. to the ones that kind of took you through agencies and you kind of looked up to and grew up with and created work with and the, the learning ground that that actually is, what do you look for in creative people? you know, in the theme of this podcast, Spot a Fake? <laughs> well, well, I think there's a few things I look for in a great creative. The first thing is an opinion. So the first thing I want to see from creative people is a really strong opinion. I might not agree with them, but but an opinion, like really strong opinion on what they think is right for the brand, right for the business, you know, the sort of work they like, work they don't like. I, I think you've got to have a, a really strong opinion, a really strong point of view, and that's certainly something I respect you know, in creatives. The second thing is I love creatives whose point of reference isn't other ads. So their point of reference is culture, art, books, movies. Uh, they don't look at award shows as the sort of benchmark for for great. 
you know, they look at the best storytelling and best design in the world. And I think that frame of reference for me is important because that's what I believe great advertising can be. And I don't think, I think just looking at other ads is a pretty narrow way to, you know, define what great looks like. But the most important thing I say is just someone who really cares, you know, like, like you can just tell when someone really, really cares deeply about an idea uh, and, and, you know, just, I think caring is so important. I think, I think Droga said that when he got that big lifetime line of St. Mark, whatever it's called, a can, he just sort of said, look, all I've tried to do my whole career is care more. And I do think it is a really powerful thing when you can, you can, you can really tell people, okay, so, so to answer the second part of your question, how do you spot a fake? It's someone who doesn't care. They don't care enough. You know, you can really tell the people who, 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 who care more. The other thing too, I think about fakes, the way I can spot one is they don't, it's, it's a creative who doesn't know the difference between an idea and execution. And this is something that I, I see a lot, right? And I think, you know, the great creators that I look up to and respect and love working with are really good at articulating what the core idea is. And they're able to separate the executional elements from that core idea. And they're able to explore that core idea in different ways executionally. They're not just stuck and sort of bloody minded about one way to execute it. Because I'd argue if there's only one way to execute it, maybe you've got an execution, not really, you don't really have a big idea there, you know? So I think that's a powerful thing. I, I And I think, to be honest with you, I think uh, I see it less and less um, in creatives. You know, it's really important that we buy an idea before we start getting, start getting into the executional detail because, you know, there's lots of ways to execute something. They're, they're really connected, aren't they? The, the connection between having an opinion, having a point of view, like you're working on a brand that clearly has a point of view and that's, the responsibility of the brand. You have an opinion for on that, and you're able to execute against that. And they they all seem like they are connected. Like coming back to that first point I made about you know give clients what they need, not what they want. I think I think you know to understand what a client needs or or what the brand needs or what the business needs. Um, you have to have a really strong point of view. Uh, I think you have to have a really sort of strong opinion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's critical. I think it all starts from there, you know? The other side of care, I think, is responsibility. Because um, I think when you work on the, certainly on the bigger accounts, when you have the multiple rounds of stuff, and this has happened a few times, you often find yourself, it's like a death of a thousand cuts with an idea. Because like, yes, you love this idea, you present it, you love it. And then like a month later, after a few meetings, you're looking at the work and you're going, how do we get here? <laughs> and, and then you sort of, you're kind of like, you're trying to defend it, but you're like, I know it's my idea. I know it's our idea, but I, I don't like it anymore. And yet I'm now presenting this fucking thing. <laughs> it's a really weird and difficult situation to be in because in order to get this thing that you love made, you sometimes just have to make some compromises. Otherwise it just won't. Mm. But then in doing that, it slightly changes it. And then if that happens once, it happens more than once. And you find yourself in this place where you can't even defend your own work because it's not <laughs> what you really wanted to do in the first place. I think it's really powerful when agencies take work off the table. Yeah. You know, I think I, I think it's so powerful when agency says, you know what, the original intent of this is somewhere, it somehow got lost along the way. Yeah. And and we're gonna go again and and you know, this needs this needs this needs to be rethought. I think that's way more powerful than just letting that thing get made, you know? And I think I really respect it when agencies do that. In fact, I had, I had a really, is it, when I worked in America at Saatchi, we, we had one where Cheerios was going to the Super Bowl for the first time ever. And and we'd, you know, we'd written what we thought was a, well, we'd written hundreds of scripts, but we'd finally landed on one that we thought was a great script. And, you know, we got buying from everyone. We shot it. 
but we just had this sort of nagging doubt that for the first time that this brand's going to turn up at the Super Bowl, it's not great enough, you know? Yeah. And and I remember we went and saw the client three weeks out from Super Bowl and said, we actually think we should do this script. And, and oh, you we, shot the other one. <laughs> and we shot another one and we changed it out. And, and you know, and thank God we did it. It ended up being a sort of, you know, top five in the Super Bowl ad meter and did really well for the business. It was, it was great. But, but you know, and for me, that's one of my sort of proudest moments in advertising that, that, that we we had the, you know, we had the strong point of view and the belief that actually the thing we've made, is it, it's not the right thing. We should do this. Hey, Gracie, you know how our family has daddy and mommy? And me. Yeah, that's right. Pretty soon, you're going to have a baby brother. Deal. Yeah, that was that was super annoying for the for the client. Obviously, giant pain in their ass. But but you know, she respected us more that we went in there and had that strong point of view and trusted us more because because we did. So I think that's really really important. I think whenever you feel that work is losing its way when its original intent is lost. I think take it off the table. Uh, you I, know, I, I certainly respect Crady's more who do that. And I think part of it too is you, you're not going to, you're not going to, um, it's so hard to mm. consistently make work of a world-class standard. Like it's really hard. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Right. Mm. Um, but I think, I think part of it is also you need, you, you can't do that thing where you put all the pressure on one thing, you know, like here's our one big ad. It's our one thing. And, and it puts all this pressure on everyone. On the on the on the client team, on the agency, on everyone. I think you've got to have several things, right? That 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 could be great. One of them will be great, and it's okay if the others aren't, because because I, I think sometimes we just get caught up with that, like this one thing that has to be great. Whereas I'd rather say, well, there's three or four things that could be great, and we'll kind of see. Because you know, we've all been there where we've had the perfect script, right? We're so convinced of the perfect script, and it doesn't quite get there you know like for whatever reason it just the direction the performance it doesn't quite get there whereas other times you'll have the script where you'll have that the sleeper right where you thought the script's okay and it turns out better than you ever hoped and it was amazing like there's just there's there's look there is just a bit of luck involved there's a lot of intuition involved it's not a science and so for me i think um you know i'm always trying to have two or three things that could be great as opposed to the one thing that has to be great Look, Brent, we did hope <laughs> that we would have time to talk about your podcast. <laughs> but I've talked but, too much. But, but, you know, we, we've had advice that people only have so many ears and it <laughs> mightn't be a good idea to actually promote what could be competition. <laughs> but, no, yeah. I do want to ask you because uh, there's, you know, Graham and I will blatantly call ourselves frauds and pretenders for having these conversations which kind of border on this idea of, of imposter syndrome, a subject that we thought we knew a little bit about and turns out we we don't. But I'd love to know, we'd love to know about your, your podcast, how it's going, you know, moving from moving from super fan to expert, I guess, is is the way that I've I've kind of uh termed what might be the idea of having a podcast talking to creatives about advertising <laughs> and how you how you feel about that and what it's teaching you really to wrap this up. Ooh. 
How does creativity make marketing more effective? And what are the essential ingredients of a great creative ad? And why aren't any of them present in this one? The answer to these questions and many more will be revealed in black T-shirts. It's a podcast celebrating creativity in marketing, hosted by two black T-shirt wearing creative professionals from different sides of the marketing business. Me, Brent Smart, a Chief Marketing Officer. And me, Adam Ferrier, a lowly founder of a leading creative agency. Expert. I use, I, I, I'm scared to use that word. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but. but That's I, imposter I, syndrome right there. <laughs> yeah. I think I've got a bit of experience over the years, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert. And, and it came from a really simple premise, and that is, you know, Adam Ferrier and I would have these great conversations about creativity, usually over, a, you know, a beer. Um, and we thought, it's just great to share these conversations with more people and encourage. Someone needs to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it sounds shocking. Um, the world but, needs to know. No, but more, more, to encourage, more to encourage other marketers to have these kind of conversations. I, I don't think marketers talk enough about creativity. And, and I think no. if the only conversation you're having with your agency is about the brief in front of you that's got all this pressure to that you have to deliver, I think you're missing out on a much richer, more interesting conversation around like what work do you like and and what does it take to do that kind of work and how would we need to work differently? And I, I just think they're really important conversations to be having. So really it's about like, you know, we want to try and inspire marketers to, to be more creative because we think ultimately that'll lead to better work. But in terms of what I've learned, like it's been super interesting. I, I'd say there's a few things. One thing I've learned is you know, creativity is not a thing that you can process or build a model for. So, you know, we've talked to, uncommon mischief, some of these, you know, the hottest creative agencies on the planet, there's no process that's different or, 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 or even their models aren't that different. There's just this unbelievable belief in the power of creativity. Like they're just fearless when it comes to creativity. And so I think that's a big thing for me is I, I don't think there's a model or a process or a, like, like it's about belief and it's about intuition and it's about um, you know, those sort of intangible things and, 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 and yeah, doing this podcast, talking to people, you know, about creativity, we've really tried to unpack what's your process and how do you approach it? But, but in the end, there's no magic formula, right? There's, there's no formula to this. It's so, so that's been sort of confirmed. The other thing is, you know, I, I passionately believe that we can't be led by customers. We must lead customers. So that's why we do the little focus group thing in each episode where we put a famous piece of work in front of a focus group and we listen to, you know, customers pull apart and, and shit on amazing work like John Lewis and Levi drugstore and all these great, great ads that we know went into the world and did amazing things. But if you listen to those focus groups, you would never run them as a client because you'd be so concerned and worried and, you know, and so, so, and it's that classic thing that no, customers don't know what they want. Customers really struggle with things that are very different. And so if you are going to constantly look to the customer for what I should, what, what should I do? You're going to end up in a place that's about comfort and it's about looking like everyone else uh, and ultimately is pretty mediocre. So, so, so we're, we, we're trying to sort of say, look, you have to trust your intuition you, you, you have to trust your gut. You, you can't look to research or data or none of that's going to tell you what to do. And that's been, again, really confirmed by this process of talking to people who have done great work and continually do great work. It's, it's their belief. And I think it's the, it's, it's the power of, their, of those intuitive leaps that they're able to make. That's kind of what it comes down to. This, this isn't science, you know? Yeah, for us has been the desire to remove some of the fear 
from creating great work. One of the things that that I've learned from this is the generosity of people to actually come on and have a chat about, you know, various parts of the job that you wouldn't normally, you know, talk to people about. It's so easy to turn that the relationship between us and them with the client, it, you know, some, you know, it just happens, right? But you're actually on the same team. You both want the same thing. And it's so easy to forget that. And, and also the broader problem, which is that, you know, the way that our work works is that we, it's incredibly successful at making an amazing thing for really stressful and shit. You know, at the end of the day, we pull stupid stuff out of our ass, get given millions of dollars to go and make it. That's what we do. And yet, how does that feel so stressful and hard when it's just like, it's a dream, right? It's an absolute dream. But because of all the loops and hoops that both sides of client and agency have to go through, it's so easy to forget that. And so talking to you and hearing your passion about it is just really, it's a real reminder that we're actually, we are, despite it all, actually in it together. It's, it's important to remember that. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. 100%. Thanks. Talking to you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a real pleasure and cheers. Cheers, Brent. Thanks. The Imposterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous.
Yeah.